You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. And, you know, we are we are pushing past and getting closer to the, the halfway mark uh, of the project, halfway mark of not only buying an NFT every day, but halfway mark of the 365 um, around the podcast. And, you know, there's, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun, even over the last like 72, 48 hours, I got to fly to um, an event in Tampa and, you know, talk to some people in in real life, IRL, that were not actually, um, you know, NFT or Web3 people. They are actually part of the National Speakers Association and had some amazing conversations around, you know, really what utility of NFTs are outside of a lot of what we see today in the sense of like business use cases and um, those that are authors and how they can think about NFTs in their books and, and those that are, you know, speakers that also have a small business or those that have a, a membership community and I'll, and I'll say like the, the one of the things that excites me the most about where we kind of are in this space and kind of some of the things we have moving forward is that we have so many different opportunities that the beauty I look at in NFTs uh, as a whole is that, you know, the fact that we can ultimately you know look at NFTs and say, you know, there is no one way or one right way to do NFTs is like a beautiful thing. But the reason that NFTs can feel overwhelming, feels a little bit chaotic, sometimes feels um, a little bit like it, it spreads us thin and there's a lot going on is because, well, the same concept, that there are so many different ways that this can, can go. And there is one common thread. There is one common thread across um, this entire you know space, really no matter what you're doing in Web3 NFTs, is the idea of you know how do we continue to be the best we can be, continue to learn, continue to lean in, continue to really grow um, as humans. And and I believe that starts and ends with us making our mental health a priority. And it's something that I've talked about a lot here on the podcast. Uh, anyone that's followed me for the last five years or so, I finally like stepped in to understanding like kind of what my role is in the mental health conversation. But I also am very quick to say that I am not a professional and I did not have degrees or a background in this space, but I've been very blessed to surround myself with those that are professionals in this space that can help guide me, help mentor me, help shape even some of my own views. And in some cases, you know, keep me on the, on the right rails and saying, hey, how you're bringing these conversations to life um, is important. And so today's guest, I'm super excited that Jotham is joining us and he is just one of those uh, you know, professionals that not only is a professional in the mental health space, but he is someone that is you know, fully um, in on uh, and Web3 on NFTs and really you know, extremely active in a couple of the communities that I'm very much a part of. And we've become fast friends in, in many different ways. And I think there's a beautiful aspect here of you know, how do we bring and rethink mental health in the in the metaverse and in Web three, but also like I, we still have to have a conversation around mental health as a whole. There's a lot of of people that really just aren't having that conversation still to life. So, Jotham, Jotham, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for you know all that you've already provided. I'm excited for our audience to to get to know you a little bit better. Give us a little bit about your background, and then we'll kind of tap into like the Web three NFT side. But give us a little bit about your background and and who you are. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast, Fanzo. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of the podcast, a uh, huge fan of you personally, and huge fan of uh, NFT365 and the whole Discord community. A lot of great people in there. So I'm excited for this opportunity to come in here, on here and talk to you guys about some of this stuff. Uh, my background is is kind of unique. So I'm, I live in Massachusetts, grew up around this area, went to architecture school, got a degree in that field, worked in the field for two years, decided I was going to be very unhappy doing it. Um, still a hobby of mine, still something I love to learn about, but just, you know, notice there's a difference between hobby and career, switch careers, decided to start volunteering and got into the mental health, uh, realm of things. So I went back to grad school, got my MSW, which is a master's in social work 
and became uh, an LICSW, which is, stands for Licensed Independent Clinical Social Worker, which is just one of, of probably four or five different degree tracks and licensure tracks you can use to be a mental health professional. I then started my first company in 2013, um, and that was basically uh, my, my initial uh, company was, was more focused on coaching. And then that ine uh, inevitably kind of led to 2019, where I started Riser and Tread with a, a colleague of mine, John Cuna, who I've known since about 2015. And Riser and Tread were about 20 clinicians. We built up just in three years to about 20 clinicians. And we focus on youth male mental health, mostly working with young guys um, who are anywhere from, you know, eight to 25 year old uh, years old in, in age. Um, and that's sort of our focus. So we overlap therapy and coaching. Uh, we think that that coaching overlap with therapy works really well for young guys in particular. I think young guys kind of have a, a, you know, an expectation of what they think therapy, quote unquote, is when they come in. And because our vibe is much more that of a coach, I think it allows us con to connect with young guys and get on their level and speak their language in a way uh, where we can explain and discuss difficult mental health topics without sounding jargony or without the power dynamic feeling sort of uh, unbalanced, uh, not in their favor in a way that might make them kind of go in the other direction. So that's um, that's kind of the main focus of our business. In During the pandemic, we started the Grim Drive podcast, which was mainly us trying to look for a creative way just to connect with more people and, and give them free information that we thought would be helpful. And so we did that uh, in a way where our focus was on teaching about mental health through the lens of sports and pro sports and athletes. Um, especially for a lot of young guys, that's an easier way to learn about some of this stuff. Um, one, because they look up to some of these athletes and athletes were speaking out about mental health much more. So it, it sort of lent itself nicely to us doing that. Um, but also it's, it's an easier first step for people to hear about someone else's experience with mental health and maybe feel a bond there um, instead of having to be their first step, be them actually talking about what they're going through. Um, so that's been great so far. Um, we've done about so we're into year two. I think we're around the 52 episode mark, which we're pretty proud of. It's uh, I'm sure, you know, preaching to the choir here, uh, way more work than I ever thought. Uh, a podcast is basically like its own business. Uh, and that's if you do it once a week. So obviously that was one of the things when I first came across you fans, I was like, this guy is doing a daily podcast. Like I couldn't believe it. Started listening to it and, you know, kind of rest is history. So. Well, I mean, I'm excited to tap into a lot of that, those pieces that you kind of brought up, you know, and I think it's so important, you know, for those that are listening, like part of the reason that, you know, I integrate a lot of the, the mental health things in within episodes, um, not just even episodes that are only titled mental health is I think of myself and I think of myself five years ago, even, you know, I was diagnosed ADHD. I've, I've told that story many times where that day changed my life. Like, I mean, I, well, there's not many days in my and like my background where I say my life changed and it was the day I was diagnosed ADHD and it, it wasn't because I was medicated. It wasn't because all of a sudden I like, I saw the light, but it was like this like permission to recognize that I, my brain just works differently, but it was also my permission to realize that the mental side for me growing up, just honestly, was never discussed. I was at my parents actually for Easter this weekend and I was having this conversation with my, my mom and dad and I was, we were sitting around and they were like, they, they were very like excited and proud of what the discussion is. But I was asking my mom about like, you know, back in the day, like what were the, what was the discussions? I was born in 81, right? Like what were the discussions around when I was diagnosed? And, and she was telling me like, they would go into teachers and tell the teachers like, do you think Brian has like ADHD? Like, you know, like we know he's struggling the grades and they would say things like, no, he is so happy, so involved. He loves everyone around him. It'd be impossible for him to have it. Kids that have it look like this, right? My mom even said like she had like a, a mental visual until really I was 31 years old. Whenever I came out and, and you know told my mom that I, I was diagnosed and it took a couple of years before I, I shared it publicly. Um, and, you know, it's, it's such an interesting shift. And I think especially for, you know, and, and you mentioned men, you know, males that are, um, you know, from a standpoint of, when someone would tell me something like therapy and they were like, you're going to go lay on the couch and talk to somebody like that vulnerability to me with like a stranger is like, hell no. Like, like, mm -hmm. like, oh, like, and, and, and this is someone that's like, you know, I'm very open and transparent, like let alone those that aren't. So I'm curious, you know, you mentioned, you know, you quickly have grown your practice. You also have the podcast side. What would you say is some of the driving factors that have helped open up the mental health dialogue that we see across the, the culture now, we know it's not where it, we would love for it to be, but it's definitely, I feel, especially in the last five years or so, 
completely come to the forefront. I, I credit a little bit to Gen Z, but I'm curious for you from your standpoint, where are you seeing kind of like the driving force for this conversation um, that's shifting? And then maybe what are some of the things that we know are still like massive roadblocks? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, I definitely give credit to the younger generations. I feel like they have um, kind of led the way in some ways about being able to show vulnerability, being willing to discuss mental health, being willing to pri- put themselves out there and prioritize theirs and the concept of mental health altogether. I think that's a great thing. So that's definitely part of what's driving it. Um, I think the stigma was reducing gradually. Um, I think having important people in important places, especially like athletes, like we've covered on the podcast, speaking out about that, uh, particularly like, you know, males in positions of, of power, I think talking about that helped, especially young guys, right? I think so that might not, I don't want to give credit to, you know, males in position of power uh, in terms of driving the mental health conversation across the board for everybody. Um, but for young guys who look up to them, I think it's certainly been beneficial because they see a LeBron James or they see another athlete kind of talking about mindfulness or talking about their mental health struggle. And it immediately gives them sort of a, a you know, permission, uh, I think, to be open about their own mental health and about being, you know, talking about that. Um, so it's been gradual. I think I think the pandemic played a massive role. I think over the last two or three years, it's, it's just forced people to confront um, mental health as a reality and their own mental health, either because they're seeing what's happening to everyone around them, or most likely it's probably happening to them on some level too. I think the pandemic was, um, you know, kind of equal parts uh, fear and adjustment and for some loss and a lot of these other things that go into, um, you know, impacting people's mental health uh, on a small scale or on a large scale. And so I think it hit everybody in some kind of way. And I think the combination of more people speaking out in the pandemic definitely kind of fused to be like, all right, we have to take this seriously. So in some ways it's great because it's like the stigma has reduced, which is fantastic. The uh, awareness has gone up, which is fantastic. And yet what it's done is I think it's, it's shined a, a very bright light on some holes in our field in terms of the mental health field. I think there were some of these holes existing already. Now they're just being exploited and, and you can see them much, much in a much clearer light than p- maybe people did before. And so that kind of relates to the roadblock question, that second part that you had asked, where I think there's a lot of issues, current issues in the mental health field that uh, we're up against, right? There's not enough clinicians, period. Um, there's not enough t- really skilled clinicians who have expertise in specific areas, which is related to the not enough in general, but also its own kind of thing. I mean, like we, need, we just need bodies. We need more people to do this work, but we also need more people who are really good at it. Um, there's a lot of bad uh, therapists out there, a lot of bad mental health clinicians. And so access to care is important, but you also want to get access to good care because uh, those are two kind of separate things. Um, the insurance landscape is, is beyond broken. Uh, that's, I don't know that I don't have a solution for that necessarily, but um, it's definitely not working. Uh, and I don't think it's going to work anytime soon uh, for a lot of different reasons, which is probably its own podcast episode. Um, I think the cost of care is a huge barrier. Um, there's basically three tiers. There's private practice. There's so clinicians who are in private practice and are private pay. There's clinicians who take insurance. And then there's clinicians who work for like a better help or talk space or things like that. And that that sort of those three tiers go down in in price. They also go down in quality of the care you're getting, unfortunately. And that's just based on the economic landscape and the fact that, uh, you know, the mental health field is part of a capitalist kind of society. And I don't know that that's the best fit. I don't think capitalism and mental health care really fit all that well together, but it kind of is what it is. And so I think what happens is, you know, that the lower tiers when you're getting more access to, to care, the quality of the care is probably not likely going to be as good because it doesn't pay as well, not nearly as well. You know, the people who work for a talk space or, or something like that are not going to get paid nearly as much as the people who contract with insurance and have their own private practice. And they're not going to make as much as the people who have their private practice in our private pay. And all the best people in our field do not contract with insurance. They just don't. I mean, even at our company, we don't contract with insurance. So the way we do it is we kind of sandwich the things on either side. We offer private pay, but we try to keep our, our prices probably about 20% below market averages. And then we offer pro bono free stuff. We bring on interns, we pay our interns, and we get them to do free youth mentoring, even though we pay them. So they don't bring in any money for the company, um, but they bring value to our company because they can offer free services to people in need that can't get connect- connected to care. Um, so those are some some of the, the roadblocks. I'll cover a couple other ones real quick because I don't want to go too far, but there's interstate red tape. So if you're licensed in Massachusetts, you can't necessarily do therapy in another state unless you get reciprocity there. Massive issue because the 50 states don't talk. Um, there's the individualistic culture, especially in the U S that I think is a huge barrier. Um, there's the loneliness epidemic, uh, 
trauma is pretty much everywhere, right? And then there's clinician resistance to technology. I think like I've heard a lot of people talk about these ideas about getting mental health clinicians into Web3. And like I kind of laugh because I, I know mental health clinicians and they're like the the last people that are going to be adopting this space, you know, and they're just very they're very averse to risk, they're very averse to change, and they're averse to tech. And so those three things make it very hard to get uh, clinicians in this space. So that's a lot. But well, you know, and I think a lot of that too is like is based on our, our past on how like the tech comes in and then like how we protect, right? You were talking about like, you know, the, the interstate regulations, yet a Zoom call with a you know, a physician that you relate with and connect with shouldn't have the those kind of like, you know, regu- regulations or limitations. And and I love that you broke broke that down because I think there's also you know, I'm curious, you know, like for, from my standpoint, like the view of like when Simone Biles, you know, stood up as a, you know, one of the most powerful and important athletes and, you know, in Olympics and even, you know, far beyond that and just, you know, stayed committed to the fact that like her mental health was what she was prioritizing. It actually, in, in the weirdest way for me, I was excited like, as it was happening. Like I was championing her. I still am, but I was actually surprised. There were a lot of people that were the ones that were talking about like, let's create safe spaces. Mental health should be more of a conversation that were then like burying her. Like, I don't know if that's true. Does she really have it? I can't see it. And you're like, I'm like, wait a second. Like we've, we've been talking about the fact that this is not, you know, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't like um, adversely affecting. And then the other side of that is like, you mentioned about like talk space and some of these, the apps, like I actually, in the weirdest way, those looked, those felt to me much more comfortable as an entry point than the uh, the extreme other but coming in on that entry point and having let's just say like a less than you know great experience or something that that like continues you inspired it almost kind of like is like well i tried it and checked that box and so i i'm curious like you're because i think that kind of connects even into where we're going web3 because i think it's essential for us to understand the responsibility that we carry when we have these conversations i learned a lot in the pandemic or in, especially like around clubhouse in like, what does it mean to create a safe space for conversations, but also carry the, the, the burden of saying that like you have to understand trigger warnings and you have to understand protecting not only the people that are asking questions, but those that are in the audience. And like, I will say like, I think for me as a, as a leader, it, it, I mean, it changed my life. It changed my life in a, in a, in a way that I got to learn all of these things that sometimes I would say things on stages that I felt was like me being an advocate. And really in a way I was being kind of irresponsible with that, like that, that power. So I'm curious, like your, your opinion kind of in, you know, you mentioned the pandemic being you know a benefit in, in many ways, but how do we, how do we kind of also take a step back and say, as much as we're moving forward, there's places where I kind of feel like we're vanity moving forward and not really moving forward because either we're not taking enough understanding or those entry points are still broken. How do you kind of look at that whole, that whole you know, kind of concept? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say the, you know, it's, it's hard. I think it's often easy for us to like view things in very black and white terms, like either this approach worked or this approach didn't work versus maybe some parts of it did and some parts of it didn't. And that can even help with a conversation like you, you had described on like a, on a clubhouse, uh, uh, you know, talk or a Twitter spaces where, you know, let's say there's 60 people in the audience uh, and one ends up, um, you know, maybe, you know, uh, exposing some of their own trauma or talking about something like, like maybe that could impact a couple people. And yet 57 of the 60 may, may have actually gained a benefit from it in different ways. It's hard to tell. It's, it's hard to know that like one thing is always going to help everybody or hurt everybody. Usually it's a bit of a mix of, of things. And I think all you can do is try to balance uh, those types of conversations so that you're pretty clear about the things that need to be considered by everyone attending without being too, you know, I think people, especially mental health clinicians tend to be so driven by the fear of being sued that I think it leads to, I think it bleeds into our conversations a little bit too much where there's like a million disclaimers and there's all these different things. And if you, if you God forbid ever leave a voicemail on a therapist's phone, if everyone, anyone's ever done this, they'll probably see that it takes about five minutes to get to the point where you actually leave a voicemail because there's a five minute diatribe about, you know, if you're in an emergency, do this. And if, and it's all because they don't want to be sued by anybody. And I think that that fear, I don't, I kind of think it does a disservice to people a lot of times because it ends up becoming a barrier in and of itself. But I love the fact that you're willing, you mentioned this earlier, the fact that, that you have um, kind of shifted into your own role in the mental health uh, uh, realm of things in terms of how you talk about stuff. I love that. I told, I told you that offline too, is that I think we need more people like you 
um, who have you know a lot of intelligence, a lot of drive, a lot to offer in terms of skill sets, and they have their own personal and general understanding of mental health concepts. I think, first of all, mental health clinicians, I think, lack creativity from a business sense. So that's a huge roadblock to me in terms of solving difficult mental health issues because they're not going to be thinking through that creative entrepreneurial lens. So we need other people that do have that and have an understanding of mental health to use their skills to bring it into this kind of landscape. I think that's going to push conversations further. Um, and I actually think not having a license is a bit of an advantage. Uh, you know, I do think that in some ways because you work long enough in the mental health field, uh, you, you know, people deal with burnout. They get sort of um, shaped and shifted by some of the bad habits that have formed in our field over time. And so I think it's almost an advantage for some people that uh, have a skill set that lends itself to, um, you know, talking to people about mental health, but aren't necessarily a mental health clinician, you know? You know, what's funny about that is like the cybersecurity world is so similar in the sense of like it, the culture has created so many like being afraid of like, this isn't financial advice. This isn't, you know, like you don't. Same thing. And like, and like when I left, I feel like I am a much better like uh, an advocate and like teacher of cybersecurity because I like pulled myself out and was like, Hey, I understand that there's all these other things. And like, if I'm giving this recommendation, like I'm not mentioning their password manager. And I, I used to be like a big, like, I remember people like, you can't say this advice without giving that. And I'm like, but if I at least get them to, to do one thing, one thing is better than no things at all and being overwhelmed. Yes. And I will also say like, you, you know, you reached out personally and we had, we've had a couple conversations and you kind of giving me, and I, and I give a shout out to Nidhi Tawari, who is a, a dear friend of mine as well. And, and we'll probably have on the podcast very soon. And actually there's some other uh, amazing leaders that I'm very blessed to have friends with that are in the NFT and also in uh, web three space that have, um, that will reach out to me and say, Brian, I love the way that you're talking about this or like, keep up, keep what you're doing. I will also say from like, from my side, there's not enough professionals that are willing to do that for those of us that are unsure of like, if we found our role and I'm blessed, like I found those that are willing to tell me that to where I am comfortable bringing these conversations to life. But I know others that are like brought it to life and then kind of getting that weird, that weird permission. Of it. So I love that you kind of like address that. And I, and I think there is, I do have, you know, I will oftentimes listen. I, I've listened into spaces that you've been um, you know leading and I will listen to like, what are you not able to say? Or what are some of the things that you have to omit and I'll kind of take that on as my like soapbox. Like, okay, I know like I can find that in there. Right? That's where I, I mentioned before finding my lane. Uh, I'm curious. Let's lean into like the Web three NFT side. You know, one of my takes on this, and I'm curious your take of it. And you can, we can lean it wherever it needs to go. You know, we both are in Psychedelics Anonymous. It's a it's an NFT project that both of us are very um, passionate about. Uh, it's just an amazing community. You know that that community, and like, even from those like from coming in from the outside there's definitely an element of mental health, mental wellness, that whole kind of integrated into it. Um, but it wasn't like kind of in your face and it really hasn't been like in your face, but I've actually taken, like someone asked me this weekend about like, where would I look at it from like a, like mental health, like taking a bigger role in NFT space. And I made the comment and, and I'll let you kind of just jump on this is I was like, actually, rather than mental health, having individual NFTs, like I would rather mental health experts being tied to multiple NFT projects to be able to shed their light in, in that way, rather than it being all on one. What is your take kind of on like that like role? Cause as you said, risk adverse, but also tech adverse, but also let's face it, the onboarding for web three, it's, we, we all like to say we're early, but because we're early, it's a hot mess. Like it's a hot mess for onboarding. So I don't blame a lot of people for not getting in. How do you look at it as like kind of the place that we could probably move the needle the most when it comes to integrating, you know, mental health professionals into this web three NFT space? That's a great question. Yeah. In terms of integrating. So this is where I think I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I want to go as far as say that I pump the brakes on the mental health web three NFT overlap. Um, but I would say I, I'm, I'm approaching with a little bit of like caution in terms of, you know, what my hopes or expectations. I try to not have expectations period, because I think it's, those are dangerous. But what my hopes are for the overlap between you know mental health and, and Web3 or NFTs is I'm trying to be like realistic about it because I think just because you know the, the Web3 or NFT landscape is so open and it's and it's it gives people hope that we can create anything. I think that's what's amazing about it. It's one thing I love about it. Doesn't necessarily mean that a Web3, there's gonna be a Web3 solution uh, to the mental health roadblocks that exist. Right. I, to me, I think there are other non-Web3 solutions that have to happen first. And then Web3 and the tech use can then amplify uh, something. I think you, I've heard you talk about how yeah. technology is at its best 
when it's sort of aiding something else, right? When it's like able to take something that's that's maybe good and amplify how great it is, not create the goodness from the beginning, right? I think that's how I look at mental health because Web3, I don't think, I'm still open-minded, I'm still optimistic, I'm hopeful to keep learning about this and, and hear other people talk about maybe how there could be a solution. But I don't know that Web3 can fix not enough clinicians being existing. I don't know that Web3 can fix not enough skilled clinicians existing in the mental health field. I don't know that Web3 can fix the insurance landscape and the reality of that or the interstate red tape. I, I don't know. I think what I've seen that I'm most bullish about in terms of um, how Web3 or NFTs overlap with mental health has nothing to do with mental health professionals. I think it has everything to do with uh, the fact that people are connecting. I think the loneliness is such a huge epidemic that people don't talk about enough that I think the fact that you see people not only connecting in the NFT space or the Web3 space, but they're kind of connecting in a very specific way. They're kind of combining like community with purpose and fandom. Like those three things are kind of all wrapped up into one, which I've never seen exist anywhere else. Cause especially because of fandom, you know, with sports teams and you're a huge sports fan. I, my voice is also half gone. Cause I was at the Celtics last night, by the way. What a um, game, what a game um, to be at. My goodness. Best NBA game I've ever seen in person. Hands down. Um, I can't I still, believe you were there. Like, I mean, watching it was one of the best watching uh, yes. NBA games ever. So, I mean, I mean, that's awesome. Yes, totally in shock. So, um, you know, with fandom, there's some great aspects, but there's also, you know, there's also some kind of risks and some stuff that goes too far, particularly with male fans. You know, they they take it too seriously and they get territorial and all these other things. I don't think I see those negative aspects of fandom nearly as much in the NFT space as I do in like the general sports kind of fandom space. So I think the fact that people are connecting and they have these these common bonds and they have this community and this, this shared purpose and, and the fandom really helps. Like I, I didn't know that coming in when I first started learning about NFTs, I was like, I started to get sold over time about the whole, you know, uh, digital proof of ownership uh, combined with the fact that artists are finally being recognized uh, to do great work instead of having to be paid nothing. Those two things alone were like, finally, when I started to learn about it, it blew my mind. I did not expect anything else. I didn't know much about this landscape. I had no idea what MetaMask was, all that kind of stuff. That's why I started listening to your podcast because it helped me with a lot of those things. And then I got into this space and I learned about Discord and I started to interact with people and the community aspect. I know it is a cliche sometimes and projects toss it around and whatever, but when it's actually happening in a real way, in a helpful way, in an authentic way, it's something I haven't seen anywhere else. And it, it, it's personally helped me. I feel more connected to people than I did, particularly post pandemic and what we just went through. Um, so I guess that that's to me is like the biggest thing I think that's going to help people's mental health has nothing to do with mental health professionals. Well, and, and I, I love that you brought up, you know, there's, there's part, you know, multiple aspects in the sense of like, you know, it's also like, we have to like, you know, I always say like, you know, technology isn't here to solve people problems, right? People solve people problems. Exactly. Technology okay. is great. At, once those problems are solved, we can amplify, we can scale, we can uh, magnify, yes. but there's also like the element of, uh, and actually I give a shout out to a uh, non-fungible therapist uh, tweeted out. Yeah, uh, he was also, yeah, great follow uh, on Twitter. Um, work because we are recording live on Twitter spaces, um, you know, tweeted out that there's like, I mean, there's nine Twitter spaces going on, like within like the, the next couple hours, all with mental health in the topic that are all kind of NFT or web three leaders that are having these spaces. So like in a weird way, like it's not actually like web three or the NFTs, like there is the sense that because we're getting people into some of these areas to have you know, active conversation on Twitter spaces and on discord, we're almost like, you know, Hey, we got this attention. Now we can talk about some of these topics, but it's not necessarily like NFT driven or web three driven, which I, I love that you brought up. Um, and then there's also, you know, Taylor Berg jumped into our, our Twitter space and Taylor is the growth and content marketing lead at Talkspace. Uh, and Taylor, which is super cool. Like if I think about this from a, um, a collaboration perspective, right? Like, you know, Jonathan, when, when you and I were like, we were connecting when you were having this conversation, like me being able to follow you and jump into your Twitter spaces and listen to how your dialogue is shared and how you're bringing some of these things to light, you know, with, especially with some of the conversations with athletes, like I'm learning how I can bring those conversations better to my NFT community, but to, you know, to the podcast. And I think there's something really powerful because I don't know pre you know pandemic, the opportunity for us to like learn through like literally sitting in rooms with others that are experts in this field. Like I, I was actually thinking about this, uh, you know, when we were in clubhouse on a regular basis, I was like, I don't know if I've ever sat, like there was no YouTube, even like, even though there were some podcasts, like those podcasts always felt like it was like, Oh, that's the mental health podcast. And like, I've, I've shared this before. Like I often like identify like, Oh, 
I'm, I'm already working on my mental health. Like I don't, I don't need to listen to that podcast, but like I'll listen to a Brene Brown conversation and then, then mm-hmm. she'll go into this amazing conversation around mental health and like blows my mind. And I'm like, that's what I needed. And you mentioned like that loneliness factor. Right. And I think that is such a, a, a piece. Now I have heard people share that like the metaverse is the answer there, right? Because the metaverse can be that we can, you know, kind of um, have that immersive experience of having people around us. Um, I kind of like, I, I would love for that, believe that is the right way. But like, I'm also questioning like, you know, the loneliness factor is, you know, it is about like these connections. And I, and I like audio because I think the intimacy of audio is just something that most even, you know, that aren't in our space have, haven't kind of like uh, figured out or wrap their head around. But I'm, I, I do get a little worried in the, in the overwhelming sense of like, if we believe like, you know, I, I've jumped into many metaverse, uh, you know, actually multiple different um, platforms, multiple different events. And there wasn't a place that I felt like there wasn't a time where I was like, wow, this is, this is so immersive that this could be, you know, therapy for me, or this could be a step further than like social audio could take us. Now, maybe that, that it's because I haven't, we haven't gone there yet, but what is your, you know, like, I, cause I was Googling like, today just for the podcast. I was like Googling like web three and mental health and almost all of the news articles are like some connection to the actual metaverse. And like they, they, they show like two pictures of two avatars being like, this is how loneliness is solved. And like, I think a lot of that is like wishful thinking, but like, what is your take on the actual metaverse conversation and mental health, even kind of outside of NFTs? Yeah, I would say um, I don't know what the solution is in terms of mental, like how you solve mental, the, the big mental health challenges within the metaverse or within Web3. But I will say I think the solution is going to be one that's a little bit disguised or indirect. Right. And you, you, you brought up a great example of this being the opposite way, the mental health podcast. Right. If right. a podcast or a project or even a company. Right. This is why we call our company Riser and Tread and not like, you know, Lexington Therapy Associates or something like that. Like if the concept is being delivered. Like I've actually seen you tweet something about this, uh, not about mental health, but about something different where it's like, or it might've been about mental health, where if you, if you're delivering information about mental health and it's too much of a smack you on top of the head with like, Hey, mental health, mental health, here's le- learn about mental health. I actually think it turns people away. Like, I think you need to be able to translate mental health concepts into something that's a little bit more enjoyable or more, well, you know, more diverse in terms of like the content that you're creating or how you're delivering it. Because if like, let's say an NFT project is only focused on mental health, I think they're going to struggle because I don't think that that's enough to get people to come in and actually interact. Because if you just take a step back for a second, like no one wants to talk about mental health 24 seven, like even if you're passionate about it and even if you want to improve that, it's not that type of topic. It's too heavy for that. I I said, anyone who's attempted, like, I will just say like, I've spent too many hours where it like, not only my energy, but I've. I mean, it's actually probably one of the things that's overwhelmed me in a sense that like I felt I I almost like felt like violated in my like my own sense because I spent so much time taking on like others and like, you know, not not even from a negative perspective. Right. But it was like so much. I'm, I'm sharing that because like I could not agree more. And like before having that experience, I was like, well, that's not true. There's lots of people that like love the top. But like, I mean, those that I mean. I mean, shout out to all the professionals that, that are listening to this podcast, like those of you that, that have to live in this and then also go home and deal like the family life and the things that you have. I mean, holy hell, like just from my one or two experiences of spending so much time in there, it is it is like a burden and like a, a thing that you kind of take in that is really hard to like just accept in like in, in that massive of a dose. So but I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think that's just such an important piece. No, and it's a great point. I think, you know, I do think any project that's trying to help with mental health needs to be more well-rounded than just the mental health. If, if the, the, the marketing and the message and the whole content or concept is like more than 20% mental health, I think they're going to lose people. I just don't think it's enough to sustain. And again, even when mental health is being delivered, mental health information, helpful information, care, that kind of thing is being delivered in the right way. It's never taking up that much of a person's life or their day or their time. It's just not, that's, it's not meant to be that way. Um, so I think it has to be folded into other things. And you brought up a, um, the point about, you know, what it's like to, you know, have to, to do this day in and day out uh, as a mental health clinician. It is hard. And I think one thing I'm worried about is the collective burnout of, of mental health clinicians in our field, because throughout the last three years, they've been trying to help other people, but also probably dealing with their own things too. 
And I'm, I'm worried that there's a tipping point where that's going to, if it hasn't already, it's going to start to this lead to this mass burnout kind of thing. Although some people handle it better than others. You know, I would, I, the example I would give is like, like I could never be a surgeon, right? It's not that like I would faint at the sight of blood, but I wouldn't be just like under control and, and good to go in a, you know, in a surgery room, just staring at that kind of stuff all day long. I think it would have a, a bad impact on me mentally, but surgeons can do it. Like they just can see it and it's fine. I'm kind of like that when it comes to mental health care. Like I, I've always been able, and I think a lot of other clinicians can be like that too, where they're just naturally maybe a little bit better at being able to hear some really, really difficult things, people's traumas, people, other things that people have gone through in terms of mental health that are tough to hear day in and day out over and over again in, in multiple sessions. But they're able to hear that and, and still kind of shut that off when they leave and they go back home. Um, so I think some people can deal with it easier than others, but it does take a toll after a while. So I, I love that you brought that up. And, you know, I will say for, you know, all of our listeners, you know, I think the beauty of, of this conversation is that, you know, we appreciate you listening, right? And I think one of the things that I always want to just challenge, you know, our listeners and, and especially because we have so many that are in this NFT space is there's an aspect of us wanting to take like what we learn or the prior, you know, prioritizing mental health and take it back to like our favorite discord or take it back, you know, into our favorite community. I'm curious your thoughts on those that like, when like opening up a channel that's titled like mental health, like for me and, and like my team knows this, like this was like, I mean, I took a lot on, like, even though I'm not like, that's not in my field. Like I was like, Hey, if we're going to open that and that's going to be fair, like this cannot be like a nice to have a check mark, like leave people hanging because like, to me, like uh, there is a tendency some, in some cases to actually do more harm than you could, could be, be good. Yeah. And, and that, that can be scary. What would be your advice for like those that, you know, maybe it's a, it's not like you know advice for actually even just for a Discord, but like those that you know, I, I like to say like I got to. It took me about four years after diagnosed ADHD, and like wanting to like immerse myself in like the learning of the like, ADHD culture that I realized, oh wait a second, there's a whole mental health game here that I haven't really understood. But like, there's a lot of people that are like, hey, maybe they have an individual story like mine, or maybe they're just like, I get it but I want to be an advocate or an ally. What, what would be your like kind of recommendation on people? Like they can provide value, but not create that, like, that kind of that blurred area that could end up being you know, more harmful than good. It's a great question I, to, to step back and do like the high level view. I think this kind of relates to mental health as a term being uh, there's a lot of people I've noticed this trend where people, especially in my field are sort of annoyed by the term mental health now. Um, and I think I come from a different perspective on that. I think a lot of clinicians will be like, oh, mental health, like it's so cliche and it's too broad and blah, blah, blah. What I think is like the fact that it's annoying people means it's being said a lot. And to me, <laughs> yeah. I'll take that any day of the week because that means it's actually being talked about finally enough by a lot of people like that to me matters way more than if it's been saturated to the point where it annoys some people. So I come at it from that angle to start. That being said, a mental health channel, I I'm you know, I think the Psychedelics Anonymous uh, project is one that has intentionally held off on having, I think they have a channel, but it's not, it hasn't been opened yet. They haven't, you know, allowed right. people to to type in there or interact in there. And I think that was a smart decision because I think they're, they're paying attention to what's happening. Some of the, these other mental health channels, I think it's one of those things where on the surface, like in theory seems like a good idea, but unless you do it very specifically, I think it can kind of go off the rails a little bit. And similar to the topic we discussed earlier, where you don't have to call a podcast, the mental health podcast, I don't necessarily think you have to have a channel that's like mental health. I think people are going to, from what I've seen, people are bonding in an authentic way in these Discord servers, in other channels that aren't labeled mental health, and they're opening up about the stuff that's good and bad about their day. So they're getting that support in other ways without having to like vent in a mental health channel. And then with the, the risk of the mental health channel, I think this is why some people are being very cautious with it, is that if you're not moderating it in the right way, and I don't even know if there is a, a right way to moderate it, because you can't you can't dictate what people are going to write before they write it. So anytime that's going to be the case, you can't necessarily control it. I guess you could delete messages or that kind of thing, but there's always the chance for it to become one of those trauma dump kind of things. And that's just very risky because if a person's venting about that stuff, they, there might be some benefit of them getting it off their chest, but it also may re-trigger them. And so they could be at risk. Then other people can see it who have also been traumatized by similar things and it can kind of rub off on them or re-traumatize them. So I think the mental health channel, I would say, I'm, I'm not sold on that yet as a thing. I think if people are going to do it, they have to have, maybe that's where professionals can be in there kind of moderating, or it can be limited in terms of who's in there or when. I think a, a much better way to do it is have, have sort of Q&As or, or things like that with mental health professionals that you set up ahead of time. And so the people that do want to get that extra level of questioning or insight from a professional have the opportunity to join that kind of thing. 
Um, but you know, there's someone there that can kind of rein things in if they need to, because they know how to do that or when to do that. Yeah. And I'll say that was a lesson that I had to learn kind of the hard way, um, in clubhouse. And, um, I was doing a lot of rooms with, with Nitty, who is a professional in the space and, and it was under the mental health matters, uh, like umbrella and it was one of the largest clubs over there in clubhouse. And then I, you know, there were a lot of people that were like, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna start a room on my, uh, in my club and my channel. And it was a great conversation, but I got to a spot as you know, an advocate and ally that I felt started getting uncomfortable where I was afraid that for the people in the room as well as the, and I was blessed like, as the conversation happening, I texted Nitty, who was my, you know, and I was like, I need you in this room. And she came within seconds. And, and from that day, I made it like my mission that I'm going to have my professionals that are at my disposal that can come in. And it wasn't just like diffuse the situation, but to give someone that, you know, they weren't providing therapeutic help, right? They weren't, they weren't kind of going outside. Uh, she wasn't going outside there, but she was able to kind of recenter it and say like, Hey, let's, let's make sure that you aren't, you know, in a place where you are causing, you know, self-harm or you're not setting this up, but we can also have to remove this conversation because that, that night, like I, I, I got off club out and I was emotional. I was bawling my eyes out because like that, that feeling of like that taking on like, Hey, I was there creating that safe space. And so I love that you kind of brought that up on like the mental health, um, you know, the channel itself and even like these conversations. And I'm curious too on, you know, like the, you mentioned like the mental health, the word, right. And I, and I, I, I hate, like you, you've heard on the podcast, like, I can't stand when we use like vernacular as like the argument to like block people out or like, that's our entire discussion. Like when we make that our only discussion, we're ruining all this time that we have for people. And like, let's, let's just get over the the fact that we might, you know, if it's mental wellness or mental health or mental, whatever, as long as these, these words are, are, are being thrown out there. I'm curious from a, um, you know, from the professional side of the house, when we look at like their involvement in NFTs and even like there is the element to be anonymous. Right. And I'm curious just from you know, this docs undocs conversation, it got a little, it got a little heated in my, my discord. Uh, and for all those that are out there, you definitely want to jump over the discord. I love that we can have like these open debates. And and part of it was like, you know, like, like there, some are from the, the, the vantage point, there is no excuse to be, um, to be doxxed that you should be using your you know, first name, last name and have it connected. And, you know, and there's others that, like, there's some scenarios. One of the scenarios that came to life for me was actually like those that are in the mental health profession, being able to like enter themselves into the conversations and these discords to assess where they could be best helpful without kind of coming into it and being like, okay, here's the, here's the person with the four letters or the three letters after, after their name. What is your thoughts there on like, um, for those that are like kind of getting into a project, because I, I hate feeling like it's almost like a celebrity or athletes kids in there. Right. And they're like, I want you to you know put our talk about, talk about our project outline. Or we want you to wear it on, on, on your NASCAR patch. And you're like, hold on a second. Like that's a human behind there as well. What's your take on kind of like that kind of like integrating or, you know, kind of that intersection where professionals in this space can fully immerse themselves without having to feel like that pressure of, of kind of taking on that role as well? Because I think for a lot of professionals, you mentioned their own burnout, like finding an NFT community for mental health professionals that allows them the freedom to be themselves and like connect, I think is like a, is a beautiful like uh, result of this. What's your, what's your thought on that kind of whole um, opportunity for professionals out there? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's a very nuanced kind of topic. And I think it, it's to some degree, I think it should be individual, you know, personal choice on that kind of thing, because there are situations where therapists might want to stay undocked so that they can sort of get the lay of the land and, and, and sort of uh, observe the landscape, figure out what's going on before they make their decision on how to be helpful. I mean, I, I'm definitely uh, docs, right? I have been from the from the start. Um, but that's what I did in the beginning was I was I was doxxed the whole time, but I was I was trying to dabble in different projects and learn about stuff. And so some people might not be all that comfortable being uh, doxxed uh, while they're going through that kind of exploration process, because it it can be there's a little more pressure, right, for some people to not be in the wrong project or not make a misstep or, or say this or that. So I think if people want to stay undoxed because they're doing that, that's fine. Um, I think that's their choice and they should be allowed to do it. I also think, like you mentioned this is one thing where I wouldn't say I'm going to do it, but I, I would be lying if I wasn't if I didn't say I'd, I'd be tempted from time to time to have some other account or have the opportunity to be undoxed because I, this hasn't happened to me in the NFT space, believe it or not, which I'm I'm kind of proud of, proud for the NFT community. Um, I don't think people have approached me in the NFT community 
like I'm some therapist. They need to just ask me questions. I've never had that, that, that happen before. That's and that's true. happened to me in real life. Like this is a thing that happens to therapists where like friends and family, they, they start to view you as the, the mental health clinician, um, not the, the brother or not the, you know, friend or whatever. Um, and that can lead to people, you know, not, not intentionally monopolizing you at, at, from for your professional, uh, you know, qualifications, but unintentionally sort of overusing that a little bit when you're just trying to be not a therapist. You know, I think that happens to a lot of clinicians in our field. So I could see that happening to some people in this space. It hasn't happened to me personally, but I also wouldn't, wouldn't blame people for wanting to stay undoxed for that reason. I, this also gets into the territory of like the only, only part of, of web three and, and NFTs where I feel like a therapist should be doxed always, in my opinion, is if they're going to be offering any level of care, I think there has to be something set up for that. Now, I have heard there's some kind of concept. You might know more about this. I don't know a whole lot about it called like zero knowledge proofs or something where you can like basically have something behind the scenes that allows people's doxed information to be encrypted so that their identity and location and other things are accessible if there's in the event that there's a safety concern or something like that. Um, so you can tap into that if you need to, but those people, both the clinician and the client's information still stays secure from each other or that kind of thing. Because otherwise, if you don't have some mechanism like that and people end up offering mental health uh, support in this space and they're, uh, they're undoxed, that to me is a huge risk uh, and a red flag in my opinion, because I think any clinician who's trying to help people should have their identity be out there and should want the identity of the client or the person getting help to be known because otherwise how do you know what their details are really? How do you know where they are? How do you know to get them a high level of care if they're in a, a an emergency or that kind of thing? You know. No, I mean, I, I thank you for sharing that. I think that's such an important um, component here. And, and like for all those that are listening that are trying to kind of relate to that like feeling, we all know if the word NFT is brought up to any of us that are in this space, the only thing people ask us about for the next two hours are NFTs and crypto, right? Imagine if that is like your day to day. And, I, and I've been very blessed that there are some close friends of mine that I've like purposely said, hey, when I'm introducing you, this is how I'm going to introduce you. So that mental health conversation isn't the only thing that questions are asked, right? Because it, then it's like, you know, everything is kind of shepherded that way. And I think it is important for us to be very responsible in, in a lot of those areas, right? And I think, you know, they, everyone is human and we have to have those like those different opportunities to um, participate. You know, the one of the other things I just wanted to kind of address or just kind of tap into, and I love for your your take, you know, you, you're part of a, you, know, you have a whole practice, right, of, of professions. And I'm curious, when, when you bring up NFTs to them, what is like their, like maybe not even from like the mental health side, but like, why, like Jotham, why are you in this? Like, what is like their questions or things they're asking you? Cause I, I just love to, I'm just curious how that kind of conversation is happening with your like fellow professionals. Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I've tried to get like, you know, John, who I, I do the podcast with and, and co-own riser and tread with, I've tried to get him into NFTs. I would say he's close. I don't think he's against it. He's definitely loves this landscape and he, you know, I talk about it quite a bit. So I think he's heard all the positives that come with it. So I think it's more of like, a, he's got two young kids and like, you know, run, we run a company, so he's pretty busy. So I think it's more of a time thing. Eventually I think he'll get in there. Um, I've talked to a few other people at the company. I think, I think you, you know, I think it's like my conversations have probably been similar to what you and other people have had with these conversations where you get anywhere from a, you know, an eye roll to, uh, you know, some, I mean, I've had conversations not with, with people in my field, but with other friends who a couple who were actually legitimately like mad that I even brought it up. I mean, like legit, like I texted them like, Hey, uh, you know, I, I've really found this experience to be pretty cool. And there's a lot of these hidden aspects that I don't think you'd know until you get in here and you actually experience this culture and these people and, and this landscape. And it's just got met with like, get the hell out of here. Basically. Like, I, I don't want, like, don't even say that word to me again. I don't want to hear it. So I've had the, the gamut of those kinds of things. However, I've successfully brought quite a few people into this field. I've sent people free NFTs. Like I've done things that I like people I care about. Cause I'm like, you know what? Like if I can show them the ropes on the stuff that took me forever, like I am not an intuitive learner in this space, like in a tech space. And it's why I push myself to really like try to learn. Cause I'm like, you know what? I'm not in historically I have not been an early adopter of tech changes. I'm not like a cynic, but I'm just like slow to kind of like, you know, jump in this time. I was like, I'm going to push myself to really learn about it and and try to get into this space. And once I, I had that knowledge, I was like, well, why, you know, instead of the, my, my friends having to, you know, wait two years or three years or five years and reinvent the wheel themselves when they're trying to go through this, 
I can maybe help give them a cheat sheet of things in terms of setting up a MetaMask. So I, I've had nice conversations and it's a fun experience when you sit down with someone over a Zoom call or in person, you help them set up like Coinbase and you help them set up their MetaMask and then you send them an NFT and it pops up. And, you know, sometimes you, you send them one that hasn't revealed yet and that's a, a, its own fun experience. So uh, the conversations have gone pretty well. I don't, this is why I said earlier that mental health clinicians are, are like the last to adopt uh, technological changes. If I could guess like the percentage of mental health professionals who even know what an NFT is or how to acquire one, I think it would be far, far lower than any other segment uh, or group, uh, you know, within the population. So that I don't know. I don't know what the solution to that is, but it's definitely going to be a barrier. Yeah, I think you're, you're probably right on on that side. And I, and I loved, you know, like, you know, I think there is like something about like we've all kind of been in that area. I actually had somebody. Um, that has known me for many, many years and I got to meet in person. Um, and I know they're not listening to the podcast because of their comment, but they were like, Brian, <laughs> like, I think a lot less of you now because you went all in on NFTs. Like they said that to my face. And I was like, the interesting part was they drove many hours to come see me talk on the topic, which was like, you think less of me, but now you're realizing like, and, and I, you know, and, and like, for me, it's like, well, whatever their entry point or knowledge of this space was so like, and I feel bad for them getting that like onboarding, right? Like their impression of it. And it could be them, but it could also be whoever, like kind of what we mentioned before, right? There's been opportunities where, you know, maybe some people have had amazing opportunities in, in like kind of the, uh, an app based therapy and it's changed their life. But there's also the other side where it could have been bad. And we know that happens on both sides, but sometimes we will just blame the tech or the, the space because it's so much easier to blame <laughs> than to change, right. Or to learn, as you said. And I also say mm -hmm. just for our listeners, there could be an assumption that like, you know, that you were an early adopter in your space and that's why you're in here as a, a professional. And I'm glad that you kind of brought that up that you aren't, that wasn't like, na you know, natural um, in your background. I'm curious from your take, I've mentioned Psychedelics Anonymous a lot on the podcast. It's, um, it's probably one of actually, you know, it's definitely in like the top three projects that I just like blessed to be a part of, um, the community meetups. I know you're, you're even organizing, organizing a meetup, um, in person, um, very upcoming soon. T share to our audience a little bit about like what attracted you to the project and then what do you feel in the psychedelics and and this isn't shilling or promoting for those that are asking but like i i often feel like it's important for our audience if i'm talking about a project that, that i'm very passionate about i also think it's important to hear from others that find value in that same project because it is a little bit of that like different context so, like what attracted you and then what have you seen in psychedelics anonymous that might be unique that really kind of has kept you interested in that space that's a great question. Yeah. At first, it's interesting. Like, um, I've also often said on the podcast, because I brought up Psychedelics Anonymous a couple of times, and I try to stipulate that it's not, it's not, you know, similar to Alcoholics Anonymous or, you know, Narcotics Anonymous or that kind of thing. But when I first heard about Psychedelics Anonymous, I didn't even, that's not the first thing that popped into my head. Like, I wasn't like, well, what is this? this is this a mental health company? I actually was just like attracted to the art. Like, the, that's the first thing that, that popped off for me. And I, I was in a, ironically, it was in like a Des Bryant tweet i think he like tweeted out something i think it was like mid maybe late december tweeted out something asking for like feedback you know how sometimes people in those yep. positions are like hey what nft project should i be in on kind of thing and and maybe it's engagement farming or what, who knows but like it seemed like he genuinely wanted to know and uh, you know this is as you've probably seen and, and a lot of people have seen the psychedelics anonymous community of, of holders are pretty active on, on twitter right. and in comments so they like descended on the comments. So I was like, I was scrolling through the comments because I was just learning about NFTs in late November, early December. So by the end of December, around Christmas time, I was looking, I was looking on Twitter and I saw this Des Bryant uh, tweet and I'm like, all right, I'll see what people are posting in the comments because maybe that I'll find a project I might want to jump in for the first time because I hadn't bought one yet. And I saw all these, uh, you know, these, these psychedelics anonymous Genesis kind of PFPs with like the, the masks and some without masks. And I was like, Man, I just thought it was so awesome, like so badass, like the, excuse my language, the, the, with the art that I was like, man, I want to learn about this. Like, this is really cool. Um, so I, I started doing I, I tend to like research probably too much before I jump into things like I owned a ledger before I even bought an NFT. So like I wow. definitely did like whole measure three times, cut once kind of thing. And I started learning about Psychedelics Anonymous. And it was just like the more I learned about it, there was just so many things to love. I mean, first it was the art. Then it seemed like the team was was really like. They had a long-term vision. Like I heard uh, Volturo on a couple spaces and you just tell by listening to that dude, like he's, he's not trying to play some short game. Like he's got a long-term vision. And as someone who's trying, like I've built what we have now at Riser and Tread is 10 years of, of hard work of me working like 80 to 90 hours a week to get to this point. 
And, you know, we have a vision for where we're going to be in 10 years. So anyone who has a vision to try to do something difficult and help people and solve problems um, or create something that's worthwhile and bigger than them, I respect the hell out of that. And so I saw I, I heard that in his voice and, and looking at the roadmap. And so that made me jump in. And then, you know, before you know it, you start to learn about the people in the community. And that's that's what's really kept me is that like there's just so many like good hearted, genuine, authentic people in that community that all support each other, whether it's on Twitter or I mean, they like the, the Twitter spaces they have aren't officially uh, like affiliated with the Psychedelics Anonymous team, so to speak. But um, they're just run by the community. They have one every day um, on a different topic. You know, they have one on Thursdays. It's like Theory Thursdays about the lore behind Psychedelics Anonymous as a project. Um, they have mental health uh, or mindfulness Mondays. That's usually something about uh, whether mindfulness based meditation uh, led by Mistress Venom, who's someone in that community. Um, or they talk about other mental health topics. And sometimes they talk about NFTs and other things. So it's, it's very informal, but also very helpful. Like that balance we talked about earlier, right? It's yeah. not like it's two hours straight of mental health talk. It's like, uh, you know, a, a guided meditation and a little bit of this, but also like humor and everyone just being themselves and talking about stuff. Um, and so that that's what's kept me is that like the project is a really cool vision and the people in it are just really awesome. You know, I've met like a, a lot of cool people that I feel like I'm, I'm becoming genuine friends with. Um, a lot of whom I've never met in person still, but I still feel a connection to. Um, and there are some in-person um, things happening, you know, like we're running a, a Boston event for a meetup for that community. Uh, NFT NYC is going to be pretty big. I think they're having a bunch of psychedelics anonymous events through that whole week. So I'm definitely going to that. I'm going to try to attend as many of those as I can, both because I want to support the project and find it really cool, but also because I want to meet some of those people that, that I've gotten to know. And that relates to what you said. I mean, I, I think the, the talk spaces and the better helps. I think one thing that's really cool about that is that it is a, a lower barrier to entry. It doesn't cost as much. And more importantly, I do think that the, the whether it's texting or audio only, I do think is a much more approachable first step for people. I think you start to see that even in Twitter spaces or other things that it's easier for people, I think, to open up in those spaces gradually than maybe they would, would be able to in person. And those types of, not necessarily with like a, um, a therapy platform, but in a Twitter spaces, I think that kind of uh, context or that medium neutralizes a lot of factors that people intentionally or unintentionally use to judge people. I don't think it's always a conscious thing, but you think about race, you think about age, you think about ethnicity, that stuff is wiped away when it's audio only because you don't know that information. And so you're not going to judge a person because they're 17. Like I've heard some 16 year olds talk about stuff that blows me away, yep. like whether it's technologically or even with mental health. And I think we, you know, and I think I try to like not let that stuff dictate how I value people or trust what they say anyway, but we're human and sometimes right. it's unintentional. And so I think when it's neutralized, that can definitely help. So that that's, they kind of went off the rails there on that other topic. But the last thing about Psychedelics Anonymous, I'll say, is that they're trying to, at the at the very like base of what they're doing, they're trying to help further the research when it comes to use of, of psychedelic assisted therapy. And there's two things that I think, you know how we talked about earlier, like this is not, you know, a Web3, something Web3 can solve. Web3 can amplify tech can amplify something that humans solve. I think there are two things that I think that are going to lead to like the, the, the best changes when it comes to collective mental health. One is the use of psychedelics in psychedelic assisted therapy, because I think it can help with a lot of difficult uh, situations where people have treatment resistant conditions like depression or PTSD or things like that. And the other is like advances in brain research. Uh, I think like there's a lot of stuff that I think is going to happen in the next five to 10 years in terms of them mapping the brain or mapping the mind, similar to how they map the DNA sequence, uh, you know, years ago. This is something where I think that's going to continue. And so anytime, if I see an NFT project that's going to support one or both of those two things, I'm all in because I think that's what's going to push the research where it needs to go so that we can have the most, uh, you know, the most improvements in terms of access to care and also uh, treatment outcomes. Uh, I love that both of that. I've actually had the opportunity to actually uh, experience both on both sides. I, I went to the Brain Training Center um, in Atlanta, and it was a very um, eye-opening experience for me uh, sitting through that myself. Even having the the device on my head and going through a lot of the the best practices to learn how my brain worked, and I didn't actually go forward to the like the next step, but because it, it gave me so much actually. Um, it, it actually gave me a little bit of freedom to freedom to better understand, like even just at a high level, some of the things like the way I like, why am I so emotional about things that others are not emotional and, and like some of those things. And, and so I love that you brought that in. I also love, you know, like to me, like, you know, even your entry point into PA, 
You know, like I actually knew uh, Votora before he ever had a name of the project. He actually reached out to me and it's like, hey, would you be interested in a project that was doing this? And the name he gave me was so completely different than Psychedelics Anonymous of what he thought the project might become. Um, and I remember just being interested mm -hmm. that he was he was asking me for my, my input and help. But it wasn't like, how can I like use you as like a social advocate or a retweet? Or he was like literally, and I was like, I like you. Like, I like you that you like, that was your approach. And, and I was a fan that kind of ever since was kind of a, a beautiful entry point. Um, so, you know, Jonathan, thank you so much for all that you've shared here. I, you know, I'm going to put your, your podcast links to the things that you have um, in the show notes as well. You know, I, I guess for, you know, as we kind of wrap it, you know, from a standpoint of, you know, things that you're most excited about, like personally and, and kind of in this area, you know, where do you see, like, if, if people that are listening to this, maybe they want, they want more, they want to take a step forward more, or even they're like, you know, we all know we're all looking for like use cases that like kind of help. What's something you could leave the audience with that kind of like a thought or like an idea that maybe gets us kind of going forward as we kind of leave this, uh, this episode. In terms of like NFT projects or in terms of like the mental health NFT overlap and where you can go either, could... either way, whichever one, you, whichever one you prefer. Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, I think I would, I would go in the direction of like looking for a project that, is able to blend in some indirect, I wouldn't call it like indirect play to earn, but I think like if there's a way to harness the fact that people, when they know they're not earning things, they're not doing it to earn money, they're not doing it to earn a return or that kind of thing. They're, they're helping people because they enjoy helping others. And there is, I'm a firm believer that like there's no such thing as a selfless act because I think like when you're trying to help people, like you might, some people convince themselves they're doing that because they're selfless, but it's the biggest benefit you can have personally is to help other people, right? Especially because it's there's it's good to try to work on yourself. This is one thing I think I would leave listeners with. It's very good to try to work on yourself, right? Self improvement's key. Self awareness is so key. I know I've heard you talk about that. That was one of the things that really like drew me to to your podcast and your community was that you hit the nail on the head with self awareness being something that's often lacking in people and so key to their uh, happiness and well being and success. Self-awareness and working on yourself is very key, right? But it's got a limit. If that, if your whole life day to day becomes this grind of, of self-improvement, you're going to end up pretty unhappy. So I think it's good to do it to a degree. It's also good to take some focus off yourself and try to, you know, help other people and be there for other people because it will up, uplift you too, uh, whether you want it to or not. Oh, I love that answer because uh, you're you're right. We we have a tendency to overclick, right? Like we 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 do no self awareness, and then all of a sudden, all we're doing is self awareness, yeah. self improvement, self help. And you're like, get down this rabbit hole, or even like you know, from a consumption perspective, right? Like there has to be like a balance of consumption and creation, or you just become the person that is learning always and not doing anything anything with it, which is no better than someone that doesn't learn anything and it doesn't consume anything. Um, so I'm so glad you made that uh, kind of like a touch point. And, you know, I think for our audience too, like one of the things that I hope that you kind of, you know, get from this conversation, but also a lot of our interviews here um, on the podcast is like, you know, perspective is a beautiful thing, right? And I, I just love, for me, that's like, that's part of what I found to be kind of like a secret weapon is I don't have to be an expert in what I'm sharing, I'm going to share something that I know no one else can share. And that is my own unique perspective to what I'm experiencing, to the things that I'm about. And that's also why I love to bring in those that have a perspective that is either unlike mine or can come at a different way. And so for those that are, you know, that are listening and you, you might be struggling to find your way or getting started, just remember that piece of it, right? That it is about our own perspective on things that we're experiencing. No one's walked in your exact shoes that got to where you're at. And, and oftentimes that's usually what people are like, well, I have to wait till I'm an expert. And I was that person in the mental health conversation. Like I remember removing myself from multiple conversations because I, I didn't feel like I had the letters after my name or the, or the degrees. And then I realized, wait a second, like my perspective has a place here and it not only has a place, but it's needed. It's going to unlock doors, open up doors. And in a way, we become like the greatest you know, advocates and, and, and really you know, branching out so much of what the professionals that are doing. And, and I'm just thankful to have professionals like yourself, Jotham, in my life that, that can encourage me, that I can learn from, but also feel like they're willing to work with me. Right. And I will say like, that is the beauty. If I had to say anything about web three, you know, whenever my wallet was compromised, the, the amount of outpouring love still we're 20 couple, 22 days out since my wallet was compromised. The love support 
empathy um, has just been, you know, something that I, I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine. Like even as someone that like loves this space until you experience it and I continue to experience it, it is something that, you know, it makes me even more bullish in the weirdest of ways, compromising my wallet and, and losing what it, it actually made me more bullish because of the amazing humans that are here uh, to support and, and put that, that out there. But I also know if I wasn't sharing my perspective and putting my, myself out there throughout this whole time, I wouldn't have even given people the opportunity to do that. So uh, I think there's a, there's a beautiful kind of synergy here, a beautiful lesson. So uh, make sure you check out uh, Jonathan's podcast. Also uh, I'll put links to, you know, Twitter, great follow on Twitter. Uh, we're going to be hanging out in uh, New York city. That's for sure. And I might be able to make it up to Boston. Uh, that's on my, on my radar as well. Uh, so for everyone that's listening, as always, uh, thank you so much for for tuning in. We are uh, super powered by the ADHD coin over on Rally. If you just go to ADHDcoin.com, you can see the coin there. Sign up for a free account. Jump over to our Discord. I uh, love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Your you know your take on the episode. Um, and as as always, reach out to us on Twitter on social media. Um, that's where we're at uh, moving forward. So until tomorrow, my friends, uh, make it a great day. Cheers. The show is not for